welcome to For the Love of Dogs with Dennis Wolf. Well, today we have a super special treat in a little bit. We're going to be talking about dogs, which is what we always talk about. But today I just want to discuss something that happened last night, and it was a little disturbing because of the way the people were reacting. It was about, well, mid-60s here in New Jersey at night, about 9 o'clock at night, well after the sun had dropped and set for the day. And a lady, real nice lady, came running in asking uh, if she could have something to break a window with. Um, she had two kids with her. And I asked her, I said, oh, my gosh, what's going on? Is there something wrong? She said, somebody's got their dog locked in their car. And I said, is the dog panting? She said, no, it, it seems calm. It was sleeping. I said, well, you know, the sun is down. So obviously, you know, the dog isn't, it's either, you know, deceased or she said, no, 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 it's, it, it was sleeping. It picked its head up. And so we talked for a few minutes. They uh, notified the store manager. Um, everybody was paged. You know, someone left a dog in the car. And the problem is that because of the way that was done, if, if anybody listening ever has some kind of a situation like that where you see an animal in distress, don't announce it to the other people in the store because what's going to happen is that person's just going to sneak out and you're not going to be able to find out what happened, right? So um, I actually went out. The dog looked absolutely fine. Um, we went back in and mysteriously, miraculously, whoever it was, and I think I know who it was, snuck out, got in the car, and went. Now, they were probably just picking up a prescription at the pharmacy where we were. So I can understand that. And sometimes people will take their dogs. And there was certainly nothing wrong with it. The weather uh, was was cool. The dog was in no peril. But people break into cars in situations like that. Now, there are items that you can purchase if you do want to take your dog in a vehicle or leave them somewhere where the weather could be an issue. Um, there are devices that actually work off of cell service lines. So uh, you can actually purchase one of these. There are thermometers or little gadgets that you can leave in the car. If you, I mean, ideally, you shouldn't bring your dog with you, especially in the, in the heat. But if you do, let's say, you know, you have your dog with you, it's a cool day, it's the fall, it's 60 degrees, whatever, and you want to take your dog to go pick up your prescription and you don't have a drive-through, then at least have a temperature sensor because those temperature sensors can tell you and can beep you or alert you if there's going to be a problem with that temperature. Now, I have my service dog will travel with me, one of them. Um, and if I have to go anywhere, even if I have to go bring my puppies in for vaccinations, I have that uh, alert set. So that if it goes, I think I have mine alert, my alert set at 78 degrees on the high side and like 62 on the low side. So if my temperature goes above 78, even for a moment, I get an alert and then that would be something that I can then run out to the car or whatever. But most people who are taking their dog, if you're taking your dog and it's a fall day, and it's, you know, especially in an evening and it's not a cold nor hot day, it's fine to take your dog with you. But that's also something where you should keep your windows cracked unless there's going to be a massive thunderstorm or something, which isn't a swift idea to bring your dog anyway in case they have any kind of anxiety or you want to create it. But in that case, I'm sure that this 
person, I think it was the, the gentleman that was behind, there was about two or three people behind us. I think that he probably takes his dog. He said, hey, let me take my buddy for a, a ride. That's totally fine. It was like 65 degrees out. Took his dog and somebody who was very well-meaning, trying to teach her kids about animals um, and being kind to them. That was a great lesson. The problem was that she didn't think it through. So when she decided to come in and be frantic, the kids were like, oh, my gosh, we should break the window. And, and she was even saying that. I said, ma'am, instead of breaking the window, did you see if the door was open? If, is it unlocked? Well, I'm not going to go do that. Like, but you're ready to break a window, which would be bad. And, and by the way, if you see a dog in the car, especially if it's a breed or a dog that's snarling or growling or just a dog you don't know, assume that when you break that window, that that dog, assume that that dog is not going to be in the best of moods and could be an aggressive dog. So get the authorities. That's where you want to stay with the car, stay outside the car in a safe place, make sure the dog seems to be fine. Contact either the local police, the SPCA, or make a phone call even to the town or even ask the store manager to please contact their local police because the police will come out. And if the, the dog were in danger, um, listen, I mean, you know, you, you can break a window, but if that dog isn't in danger, you are responsible for it. Now, what happens if, let's say, the dog is, God forbid, aggressive or the dog is frightened, you open the window or the door and now the dog runs out? And now, God forbid, the dog hurts somebody or gets, gets hurt itself. You have now scheduled yourself for a court date because you have now vandalized someone's vehicle and potentially led to the demise of their pet and potentially getting bitten or having somebody else get bitten. So it's always a great idea to teach your kids, but teach your kids the right way to do it. Teach them that if they ever see an animal in distress, to right away call, they can call, I don't know if 911 is appropriate, but I would say that's a good place to start if you can teach your kids. And, and let the 911 operator uh, discuss and decide if that warrants you know, having somebody come out. Um, if not, if you're in a smaller town, call your local police department or call even the borough hall if it's uh, something during the day, during the week. Call somebody, uh, even licensing, and you know, licensing department. If it's in your own town, there should be a dog and cat licensing bureau. It's usually either the, the clerk or there's somebody in there. Find out what's going on because sometimes they will also, if you if you can uh, see a tag on the dog or a name or a phone number, you can call the name or the phone number and uh, try to help. So it was a wonderful experience for the kids to learn to be kind to animals. But I feel like, in a way, I think it, uh, it, it was a little overboard. And honestly, I think there would have been a better way to do it because we don't want to break somebody's window, right? Um, so that's just one of those things. As we're starting to get the cooler weather, um, that'll start happening in September. And I'm not so happy about it, but it's okay. It's going to happen. It happens every year. Um, we have to start changing the way we think about things. We right now are looking at, hey, there's, you know, it's 80 degrees or it's 70 degrees. Now, yes, in this temperature, in this weather, especially in the sun, 
Uh, the temperature inside a, a locked vehicle, even if the window is cracked a little, can be easily 30 to 40 degrees greater inside the vehicle than outside. So if it's only, let's say, 70 degrees and it's a cool day, 70 degrees can be 100 to 110, and it can absolutely harm or kill an animal who's inside. But there are other situations with having a car or, or any vehicle with multiple animals or a larger animal, like let's say German Shepherd size, that's got a lot of hair and is panting a lot. So we don't always think about how a, a closed contained area can heat up, but it's not only from the sun. It's also from the body heat inside. So for instance, when I take my little puppies, let's say I have 11 little uh, Ridgeback puppies, and they're in my car with the air conditioning on, even though the air conditioning is on, those 11 little bodies can heat it up more than I could ever heat it up. And you still have to be careful. So even with the air conditioning on, if you have especially large or multiple animals, especially if they're panting a lot, um, just because they pant, like uh, Bernie's Mountain Dogs and Labs and uh, a lot of these you know, kind of hairier dogs, they just pant a lot, and that's great. You know, goldens as well. Just remember that all of that panting also creates body heat. So be really aware of that. And obviously the best thing is don't take the dog with you if you're going to be going and running errands. Or if you are running errands, try to go to the drive through Just assume that, you know, whatever could happen will happen. And keep your animals safe and keep your windows from getting shattered by uh, well-meaning uh, family members or, or people who are strangers who are just trying to do the right thing. So that I just wanted to address as far as for today about, especially with this changing weather. The second part of the changing weather, as we're starting to get these cooler nights, is please, everybody, do not keep feeding your dog out of the same unwashed bowl. Please do not keep refilling dog water when there's slime in it. Um, first with food bowls, bacteria can grow so easily. And although stainless steel is certainly a great thing, a lot of people are using plastic bowls. Plastic is very hard to clean and sterilize. In fact, you'll notice that most plastic things um, are, uh, well, if they're dishwasher safe at, at least, um, you have to really do a lot to sterilize them. Usually plastic was created for single use it's because plastic has pores. It's very porous material. Um, so it has little nooks and crannies, uh, not enough that, you know, things will leak out of it, but there are many more than there would be in something like glass or a stainless steel. So if you can, I would advise people to be using either uh, glass, something like a, a glass covering, like a ceramic, if your dog doesn't mess with things and isn't going to, uh, you know, be uh, picking it up and throwing it all over. Um, or the best is really the stainless steel bowls. There are so many different brands, but get a stainless steel bowl that is a good quality, that's thick enough, and put it in your dishwasher every night. Um, in the summer, I mean, I wash my bowl, my dog's bowls twice a day, so they eat. The bowls all go into the dishwasher. Granted, I have a lot of dogs, but at least hand wash it with soap and let it sit, sit upside down. 
so that there is not the, the debris of the food which can harbor bacteria and cause illness. Uh, listen, you know, dogs go outside and everybody says, oh, but they eat poop or they do different things. That's very true, but the fact that they do that doesn't mean that you should let their bowls get disgusting. My rule of thumb for dog bowls and water bowls, so for food and water, are um, that if you wouldn't eat or drink from it, then neither should your dog, especially with water bowls. That seems to be the offender because people seem to understand that if you have a water bowl um, you know, or, sorry, a food bowl, that the debris, you know, like, oh, it's kind of gross. You wouldn't want to eat off a dirty plate. But they don't think about it with water bowls. And especially if your dog goes outside and eats dirt or, or anything and then sticks its face in the water bowl and there's a, any kind of debris, that is going to grow bacteria. So what he's eating of bacteria is less harmful than what's going to grow in that water bowl over three or four days. So, again, when your dog is done with his food or water, wash it out, even hand wash it, but do something so that you don't have something harboring bacteria and that your bowls are disgusting and then people look at them and they're like, I don't know why my dog got sick. So just the fact that dogs eat dirt and things outside, and we're going to talk about you know helping dogs that do have um, puppy pica, we'll be talking about that on another episode, but please, please, please use that rule of thumb if you wouldn't eat or drink out of that bowl, then neither should your animal. It is so important, and especially if you have water or anything outside. A lot of people will have like a water bowl for their dog. If their dog has a doggy door and goes indoors and outdoors, that's fine. Change it at least twice a day. Make sure that the water doesn't have anything on top of it or in it. And if the dog hasn't touched it in two days, it should have still been changed whether the dog is or, or animal is going to drink from it uh, or not, change it twice a day because you don't know what's laying an egg in there, what kind of bacteria, giardia, what kind of bird might, you know, have defecated in it or washed its wings in that, and now your dog is going to be susceptible to so many issues. So that's your uh, daily uh, moment of uh, being shamed that you're not all washing your dog bowls out twice a day. So let's get that done. And meanwhile, we have an amazing guest today. Um, I've known this young lady for uh, a couple of years. She is a force of nature. She started her own rescue. And I'm very, very excited that she was able to come on today. We're going to talk with her first about rescue dogs and about how uh, you can get a good dog, and also we're going to discuss uh, after the break, we're going to discuss a little bit more about what you can do uh, to help dogs out there maybe that you know or that people that you know know, because I don't think that most people realize how much work it is to have a dog, and certainly with rescue dogs, because some of them do come with some issues. So let's discuss this with our expert today. Uh, Dana from Incredible Pups Pet Rescue will give you all her information for anybody who's interested in anything dog. Dana's pretty amazing. So, Dana, welcome to the show. How are you today? Hi, Janice. Thanks for having me. Of course. You're like my go-to girl. Um, Dana, tell me a little bit first. It's always fascinating to me how rescues start. What did you 
feel that you needed to do? Like, why did you start your own rescue rather than just sticking with a rescue that, you know, one of the bigger ones that's out there? Yeah, you know, for us, we're in Dutchess County, New York. Um, it's more upstate, as a lot of people are familiar with New York City. Um, we started right around five years ago at this point. Um, we are a smaller rescue, and there's a lot of groups around here that are uh, bigger. You know, the group that feeds you $100 a month. And for us, you know, we worked with a bunch of these groups to get a feel for it. And the one thing that we saw lacking was the ability to get to know the dog. Um, knowing their personalities, knowing their needs is really a big part of being able to properly match a dog with a family. Um, and that was something that we saw missing in this area, and we knew we had to fill that need. So that's how we kind of got going. Uh, we did the paperwork, and we got uh, established, and here we are five years later. Yeah, you know, Dana, that's that's so awesome that you know that you started that. And what you said is why exactly why I wanted to have you on the show today for everybody to understand. You you shouldn't be looking when you guys are going online and you're saying, Oh, look at this cute puppy. It doesn't matter the looks because looks are great until there's a problem. You really need to deal with a rescue like Dana's like incredible pups pet rescue because they know their dogs, and this is also one of the biggest problems that, that I see as a behaviorist is people, well, like the family I, I told Dana about earlier that they went to a pet store and they, they never had a dog before, and this dog, this little puppy was like literally biting and growling and snarling like very abnormal, very pre- precocious dominance and aggression that should not be and the family was told by the pet store owner that, oh, that's just how puppies are. So I had them over, and they were able to visit with nine or ten of my little Ridgeback puppies who were younger even than that by a few days. And they said, oh, my gosh, your puppies are so good. I said, no, it's not. I mean, yes, my puppies are really good, but it's that the puppies at the pet store were not good. Well, that's what I want to talk about is the fact that even within a breed, Every single dog or puppy has its own personality. So you could find an Akita who, you know, oh, Akita, but you could find potentially one that was so well-bred or that just by an act of God, it happens to be the gentlest thing in the world. And you could find a Cavalier King Charles Spaniel, which is a great dog typically. You could find one of those that's aggressive. So what Dana's going to do, if I hope she will, is explain a little bit. I'm going to give her like a couple of different scenarios, and she's going to tell you what kind of dog might work out for you and what kind of personality. So, Dana, I'm putting you on the spot here. The first right, family, <laughs> they have, let's say, two kids that are, let's say, a 13 and a, and a 10-year-old who are very mature, and they have like a 6-year-old kid a little boy who's a little bit, uh, a little bit, you know, ju- more juvenile. So you have to watch out. And they wanted to get something that was under 30 pounds. They have a house that they rent and um, they, the family is in the middle of a big move and they want to get a dog now. 
So what do we do with this family? What kind of dog do they need or do they need a dog? <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. So there's a lot of moving factors in that scenario. You know, first off, um, I know you mentioned that they rent. So in that scenario, we always contact the landlord prior to make sure that we're in compliance with any size of breed restrictions that they have as the landowner. So that's always the first step. Taking that into factor, and we then talk to the family to see, you know, what their lifestyle is like. Are they active? Are they more laid back? Would they do better with a couch potato dog or a dog that wants to do a marathon a day? You know, so you start with that. Uh, given that there is a younger child in the home, we typically do like to aim towards the puppy segment of age just because they typically don't have as many pre-existing uh, issues or personality, um, either setbacks or, you know, they're not stuck in their ways as much when they're younger. So we typically aim for that. Uh, we also aim for ones that are a little bit calmer, um, you know, maybe four months old, five months old. That way they're not completely in the full on blown out, you know, puppy things. Um, so they might be a little bit more trained than a two to three month old. Um, so it's a little bit more manageable when there's a young child in the home, but also the teasing, you know, you want a puppy that's not going to use the kid as a teasing toy versus maybe an antler or an animal bone. Um, so there's a lot of factors that go into place. Something that we do in our group. For families that have a lot of factors going on, is we sometimes do a foster to adopt. So prior to the family fully committing to adopting a dog, we do a trial run per se. So it gives them, you know, about two weeks to see if the dog is kind of a good fit for them, if they're able to establish a manageable routine with the dog in that time period. Obviously, it takes a lot longer to do a lot of the main training, but in that time period, you're able to adjust your lifestyle to see if you're able to handle it. Um, now, I know that you said that they were in the middle of a move, I believe you said, uh, for this scenario. So normally we don't adapt out to families that are in the middle of a move until things are settled and situated because that can cause some anxiety for the dogs. Um, you know, dogs pick up on stress. So if you're stressed out, you know, while you're moving and you're not settled, the dogs feed off of that, and that can cause a lot of unsettledness for them. So we typically try to hold off until things are settled down and more concrete for the family. Sounds good. And that's that's exactly what I was hoping you were going to get at, was when you the more factors that people have, when they're adopting or purchasing a puppy or dog, the the worse you're setting yourself up to fail and worse you're setting the puppy up to fail. So just think about it if, you know, you bring home a baby and you're in the middle of moving and you can't really get that baby uh, kind of acclimated, um, good luck with a sleep schedule because the child has to get into some kind of routine and puppies and dogs are no different than a, a baby would be. Um, so it's really important to, you know, you can start that talk with your family. Like, hey, we're going to get a dog. We're going to start looking. 
And this foster to adopt that Dana and Incredible Pups Pet Rescue does is pretty cool because this way you're not committing to that puppy right away and you can have, you know, a few weeks, a couple, I guess a month or two, whatever it is that, that each rescue might allow, but that is something that you can ask about. This way, if you see that the puppy isn't working out for the family, you're not committed for it. And it also is nice because the kids can now know that like, oh, okay, well, we didn't keep that one, but we were a part of helping that one in its journey to find the right home. And that's super important for kids to start realizing very young that, you know, yeah, it's, it's, everything doesn't always work out and it's okay that it doesn't work out, but that you played a part in that animal's life. And that's the most important part. So I know we have to take a quick break. We're going to take a quick break and then we're going to come right back with, from shelter dog to service dog with Dana from Incredible Pups Pet Rescue. And we'll be right back. dog to service dog with Janice Wolf still here with Dana from Incredible Pups Pet Rescue. So Dana, before the break, we were talking about finding the right puppy in the right situation for a family. I've got the case number two I've got for you here. Um, A 75, let's say, or 78-year-old, let's say, single, widowed, female, um, grandmom, pretty healthy, pretty okay, and they want to get her a puppy to keep her company. What do you say on that? And she's got, you know, she needs something like smaller, I think 30 pounds or less, let's say, another small dog, and they want to get her a puppy so that, you know, she can have something to keep her company, and she is mobile, she can go out for walks, she goes to bingo and all that stuff. So she's a, a healthy 75 or 78-year-old. What say you on dog or pet for her? 
Yeah, so we've actually worked with this scenario um, quite a few times in our group. And one thing that I always recommend for the older population is getting a dog that matches not only your lifestyle, but also kind of your stage in life, right? Uh, you might be active still, but let's face it, you're not a spring chicken at this point anymore, and you never know what might happen over the next 5, 10, 15 years at that stage in life, right? Um, the other thing is when you're getting a dog, it is a lifetime commitment. So is the dog going to outlive you or are you going to outlive the dog? Um, so something that we always encourage people that are slightly older when they're looking to adopt is to look at an older dog. Um, something that's a little bit more established, um, maybe four to five years old, um, you know, in our group, we know them pretty well. Um, so we know their personalities and there's any issues with them. And at that point, a lot of the training is done, right? So their health programs, they're great trained. They have some basic obedience done. So it's a lot easier when you're older and you're on your own and you don't have the extra set of hands to help, um, to have one that's already kind of turnkey. Um, so we, we do encourage people to lean towards that way. I know that a few groups throughout the country have established, um, I think it's like seniors with seniors type programs, so adopting out senior animals to senior citizens. And I think it's a great program. Um, you know, you don't have to get a 10-year-old, a 12-year-old, but even something that's like three to five, you know, it just it gives you a little bit better of an understanding of the dog's personality and kind of more of their long-term needs um, and something that you would have a better idea knowing that you can handle in the long term. Uh, dogs, you know, they do change around that one-year mark. So even though the puppy, you know, might be calm, they might get a little bit more energy when they get older, and then you find yourself in a predicament where you might not be able to properly care for them anymore. So we do, we do try to get them to adopt older ones that are a little bit more established and, and set in their personality. Sounds good. And, uh, you know, that's something that I, I had a neighbor for, I don't know how many years, 30 some odd years. Um, and he was 80 something, I would say maybe 84, 85. And he had a younger, uh, an older sister and a younger brother. Uh, the younger brother and older sister is still alive. Unfortunately, he passed. But they got a Yorkie puppy. I mean, uh, and I, I mean, a Yorkie puppy. Now, Yorkies live all long time, God willing, right? They live 15, 18 years. I mean, I've seen 20 year old Yorkies. So you had a man who was 84, unless he lived to 104, that dog was going to definitely outlive him. Now it, it worked out because he had other uh, family members in the house that would take care of this dog. But I think of that all the time that what are you going to do if you get your, you know, your mom, your grandma, grandpa, whatever, uh, a, a dog who's young, just think about it now when they can know, when they pass or they go into a nursing home or whatever happens to us when we're all older, you know, what are you going to do with that dog now who's nine years old or 10 years old? And we see this all the time. And I know Dana's seen it. 
I see this yep. all the time. A dog is 10, 12, 14 years old. Um, my daughter just had two Cocker Spaniels that are 16 years old. The woman passed away, um, and she took these two dogs. You have to think about what's going to happen with that animal. It's like having a special needs child. You know, you don't want to pass away not only for obvious reasons, but because who's going to take care of your baby? And don't assume that just because it's, you know, oh, it's a great dog, that somebody's going to want to take your 10 or 12-year-old dog. Um, a lot of times in the family, and I, I know this happened with my dad's sister, She there was some money attached to the dog, and, and she had the dog put to sleep because she wanted the money that was attached to it when my grandma passed. And that's really, really disparaging. And I would have taken the dog, um, no problem. I would have taken the dog, but, um, you know, it wasn't allowed because everything went together. So that's another thing that I, you know, would love to talk about in a future um, episode, which I know we've talked about in the past, is making plans and arrangements, uh, contingency plans, if you would, for your pet in case something happens, even if you travel or if you're gone during the day, and God forbid you get into a, a car accident, does somebody have the keys to your to your home? Does somebody know when you get home so that in case there's a problem that your pet is still taken care of? Because that happens where, you know, someone gets in a bad car accident and, you know, they, nobody knows that the, they had a pet and the pet, you know, passes away or is locked in the house or doesn't have food or whatever because nobody knew that the pet was there in the first place. So there are a lot of things that we need to discuss um, that are really important for everybody to remember that, you know, when you have a pet, it's, it's another family member. It's like having a child. And we've all heard about, you know, fathers who, you know, go to work and forget to drop the baby off at daycare and the, the child passes away from the heat or, or whatever because the dad forgot. And you think about animals, it's, it's really the same thing. So I think that's a super important thing. And I think what Dana is saying about, you know, seniors for seniors, we've discussed that before, but I think it really hits home. Also, uh, people who have disabilities, remember, just because you're disabled doesn't mean you can't have a dog. It just means you might need the right dog. Um, Dana, I have my third case that I wanted to ask you. So this is a young couple. Uh, they own a house. They just bought a house. Uh, they have a fenced backyard, and they're very active. They like jogging. They like hiking. They're 28 years old, and uh, they're looking for a dog that's going to have enough energy, but they don't want something that's going to be crazy because they're thinking of having children in the next two to three years. What say you on this one? Yeah, these are normally my favorite type of adopters uh, because it kind of gives me a lot of leeway and a lot of options uh, for them. So normally, you know, one to two years old uh, are good for these type of families because normally at that age you're a working professional. You know, you might be at work eight hours a day or something. I know there's a lot of hybrid jobs now where you're home, you know, a certain number of days a week, uh, and then you're in the office other. So we are seeing that a lot more now. Uh, post-COVID, but, uh, you know, one to two years old would be good if they're at home. They could, you know, raise a puppy if they wanted to at that case. Um, you know, it would be more dependent on if they had any breed preferences, size preferences, 
uh, given that they're younger, they could handle a bigger dog if that's what they wanted. Um, but a lot of it is going to be, you know, working on desensitizing them to kids over the next, you know, year or two. A lot of times what we see is people will adopt a dog and then they, I think, unintentionally isolate the dog that they adopt. You know, oh, you know, we're home. Let's play with them in the yard. Um, you know, let's walk around the neighborhood. That's a dead end, and they don't really get to see a lot of different environment factors. And then, oh, let's bring a baby home. But, oh, now the, the dog is freaking out. You know, um, get them exposed. Bring them to, you know, a small, quiet cafe that might have a kid or two. Or, you know, I don't really like parks, but, you know, if you have a friendly park in the area that's not crazy, you know, try walking them around there. Um, get them used to the noises. You know, try YouTube even. You know, play crying baby noises or um, the toys that kids use that make all the obnoxious noises that might scare a dog. Um, yeah, add the little positive. the little thing, Dana. Also, because that's something that we've discussed on on our show. Also, anything. You know, when there's the the kid parks, right? Like the little areas where the yep. kids the playground. Put your dog on the opposite side and walk them back and forth and see how they are. And also, Dana, can't the people, like let's say a young couple like this, can't they ask specifically for a dog that might have been raised with children? Is that a possibility Absolutely. or is that not trusted? Absolutely. No, I mean, you know, for us, a lot of the fosters in our group, do they do have kids in the home. Um, but obviously infants are a lot different than a five-year-old, ten-year-old. So you always want to err on the side of caution. You know, I mean, they are dogs. So just because they get along with one kid doesn't mean they're going to get along with every kid. So it is going to be up to the family, you know, to manage and read their dog, right? I mean, you should know your dog and see their body language to know if they're stressed, if they're agitated, if they're comfortable and happy. Um, and adjust accordingly to that, to that, um, you know, the signs that they're giving you. Cool. All right. Well, those are the three I was interested in asking about. Um, but I, I also have some questions about, I want to know your best placement and your worst placement and why they were your best and your worst. And then I want to talk about <laughs> training and behavioral work with your dog and not waiting till it's too late. So let's start with that. What was the best placement you ever had? Like your favorite one that you just felt great about and everything worked out great and you never got a phone call back? Yeah. Um, you know, there's one that definitely sticks out. Janice, you've known me for a long time now. Um, and you know I'm not typically a very emotional person. Um, but we had this one dog named Grace in our group. She came up from Mississippi uh, her mom was a stray. Uh, she got pregnant, you know, with a, a litter of eight. And um, they came up around Christmas time. They were all named after Christmas. Uh, I don't use her, her names. And uh, we adopted her out to a family with a boy who has autism. Uh, he's pretty much nonverbal. And when we brought the dog over, to do a meet and greet, he uh, he actually started talking to the dog. 
he said how much he loved her. And it kind of got us all choked up because we know part of the struggles that the family's been through and to see the boy connect to her that quickly, um, it kind of just gave you the sign that it was the right family for her to be with. Um, and she instantly bonded with him and it was just, it was beautiful. It was beautiful to see. We've had a few, you know, a few really, really special placements. Um, but I think that that was definitely my top, my top family. Uh, that yeah, that one's great. You know why? Because we talk about every week we talk and we have a, a pretty wide audience that includes a lot of families with special needs kids. A lot of times people will call us to get a service dog um, from us and they don't really need a service dog. They really need that, that just that bond. And I tell people a lot yeah. of times and I'll refer them to different rescues that I know that will do the right thing. The right dog or the right, even sometimes a cat, uh, even a hamster or bunny, the right animal. Animals can connect with humans and especially with special needs individuals far more than we ever can as humans. And that's a really good story. And I know how important that one, I've heard that one before from you. And that's something that even if somebody says, hey, I want to get a service dog for my child, that's something that, you know, you can take that puppy and if the puppy ends up being a good dog, it could even be trained. We do that as well. We train existing owned dogs like, you know, you own that puppy. We can train that puppy very often to become a service dog for your child or for your loved one. So, um, you know, a lot of times and, and we've taken dogs from Dana and we'll, we'll talk about some of those. We've <laughs> taken dogs that were unadoptable. And one of them we turned into a service dog. So, uh, you know, there, every dog doesn't belong in every home, but there is the right pet for almost everybody. And the people who shouldn't have a dog from Incredible Pups probably shouldn't have anything other than eating a piece of salmon on their plate at night. So, Dana, that was your great one. Tell me about, uh, tell me about one of your uh, more difficult placements, let's say. Oh, man, like Edward? Oh, man. Yeah, yeah, we don't, we don't use Edward here. Um, you know, more difficult, <laughs> I think. You know, and to lean into what you want to talk about next, you know, I feel like Bandit is definitely a key case for that one. Uh, Bandit came to us. Right around a year old, he came from North Carolina, and he initially was fine. He was, you know, very sweet, good with cats, uh, good with people. was in a foster home with kids, and we adopted him out to a family that very quickly was evident that they were not able to handle him. Um, I think they gave him a little bit too much wiggle like, room too quickly, and... He was one of those dogs that took advantage of it, um, but then it also turned into manifesting into anxiety. Um, he had very severe anxiety, and it turned into, you know, kind of reacting onto the owner. So he was not puncture-wounding people, but, uh, you know, he would definitely give them bruises with the biting and the nipping. And... Um, you know, just kind of locking on there. We thought that we were doing the right thing by him by doing a board and train. 
Um, you know, it was a structured environment for him to be in, and it turned out to be a not good setup for him. Um, so tell you know, about the boarding train. Well, tell about the situation and, and what they were doing or not doing. That was the problem. Yeah, more like what they weren't doing. Um, so for him, he was there for about eight, nine months, and uh, they did a lot of, uh, you know, e-collar work, which we all know is a touchy subject. Um, and if it's not done E-collar, right, it doesn't... for those of you, is what I call shock collars. It's got electricity in it. Yeah, it's a shock collar. They didn't know, yep, and exactly. you didn't know that then. Yeah, yep. so we learned quickly uh, once we got connected with you that this was not a good setup. What we thought was helping him was actually harming him, um, and it just it needed to be changed. Um, luckily, we came across to you, and you were able to help us with him. Um, so after $30,000 in training that went down the drain for him, uh, we from, got the other place. <laughs> from, from the other place. From the other place. From the other place. Let's make that clear. Um, they did absolutely <laughs> nothing to help him. And now, you know, after what he's been with you guys for two years? No, almost no, two years. No, a year, yeah. Uh, well, he's, year, yeah, we, we actually put him into service dog training because once we got through right. the behavioral issues, which was, um, you know, was, it took us a while to get through that. When when people are using these um, shock collars, e-collars, very punitive, uh, yelling, screaming, you know, flying them around, shock collars, prong collars, choker chains, squirt bottles, penny cans, air horns, what you're doing is you're you're allowing the dog to become more fearful and distrusting. And when we have a dog that comes in like like this this dog was. He came in. He was. He didn't trust anybody. He was. Tr- wasn't he the one who was trying to jump out the window? Yep. Yep. He tried to jump out windows. He broke through a door one time um, out the front door of the family's house. He was very, very fearful. Yeah. So when you take a dog like that, the first thing is you have to go on the dog schedule. People don't realize sometimes when they say, "Well, but you know, but we have to, you know, fix them by you know August." 30th because we're going on vacation well you know it's like good luck try to try to potty train your six-month-old baby you can't it's going to take you two years to potty train a six-month-old baby or it's going to take you two weeks or or a month to potty train a two and a half year old they've got to be ready for that phase you just have to wait until the animal gives you that trust or gives you that respect and and really feels that you're not going to hurt them because that's where a lot of these punitive and these these crazy, I, I don't even know the words I'd like to use. I probably can't. But these people who, uh, for whatever reason, I mean, I, I think of them like being like little Hitlers, like they're all like Nazis that are trying to intimidate a dog or threaten it or, you know, get off on, on hurting it. And, and you know, I, I just don't understand that because I don't understand it why people do that to each other. Um, some sick people, but what I do know is that dogs do not deserve to be abused. No one does, but especially animals because, you know, they're pure. They give us everything. They give us love. They give us respect. They give us all the, the great qualities that we would hope to have. And sometimes people don't give them back that respect or that love they give them, you know, anger. And a lot of times I think people shouldn't be in the jobs they're doing. 
when you see somebody who's abusive or, you know, a nanny who really doesn't like children anymore and shouldn't be doing it, and they're, you know, swatting a baby around and catch it on the nanny cam. So I think the same thing happens with sometimes with animals. And I always tell people I wouldn't in a million years send my kid off to somebody that I just got a phone call with. I would want to know who that person is. And if you get referred by a friend, that's that's certainly something. I've had people who have been referred and they say, let's say they have, you know, a, a, a beagle or they have, you know, a, an Italian greyhound and their friend had a German Shepherd, and they go, oh, my, they were great with my dog. Yes, because it was a German Shepherd, and, you know, not that it's a good thing for anything, but, you know, a Rottweiler, German Shepherd, maybe a pit bull that's not fearful. You know, maybe you can use some of these more punitive methods. I wouldn't. I think it's horrible. I think it's like trying to yell when you're losing in an argument because nobody's listening and you don't have anything intelligent to say, so you, you know, zap them with a shot collar or, or hurt them or intimidate them. But I think the real part of that is why would you want to be harmful or detrimental to an animal's mind, right? You want your dog like to be like my dogs where, you know, they just, they lay on the bed and I walk out of the room and they follow me and I let them outside and they don't jump on the door to come in. They're not chasing and barking and they come back in. Yes, mine are exceptional because they live with me, but I don't have just one dog or two dogs. Or ten dogs. I have a lot of dogs, um, and they're all like that. Um, one, two of them were in the vet yesterday in the the emergency hospital. My practice up in northern, uh, well, actually, it's in in southern New York State, but it's not New York City. Um, and every time they send me a notice, they're like, oh my gosh, your dogs are always so good, right? Every one of my dogs goes in. And that's because I don't use shock collars, prong collars, choker chains, squirt bottles, penny cans, yelling, screaming, flying them over my head. I don't need that. And anybody who needs to, well, there's also something called balanced training, which to me is unbalanced training and mentally unbalanced. It's You can always find a way to make somebody, whether it's an animal or human, do what you would like it to do. And a lot of times it's, you know, it's really just common sense. If you want the dog to be calm when it is going to, you know, get it to dinner, then stop amping it up and saying, you know, oh, you want to get your dinner? You want to get you ready, ready, ready? Sit, sit. Why are you jumping on me? Well, because you just made it happen. Just shut up. Duct tape is really handy in those cases. Um, but just be kind to the animal. Be firm. So it's not that you're going to let the animal run roughshod over you, but be calm, be gentle, be patient. People will always ask me, like, what's the most important thing when you're, you know, working with dogs? And I say, timing and patience. Those two things. Timing of if you're making a correction, it's quick. It's not over the, you know, way overboard. And it's appropriate. And then patience. If it takes the dog 10 minutes to get a skill or to understand what you're doing, then that's fine. If it takes it an hour, that's fine. But you have to keep yourself calm and within those constraints of not being threatening, not being aggressive, or something that the animal is going to see as being aggressive. And when you're dealing with a puppy, especially under 14 months of age, they're going through, we've discussed this before many times, fear impact phase from four to eight months, 
flight instinct from six to eight months. So they have that, you know, overlap or to 10 months, they have a six to eight month overlap. And then from uh, 10 to 14 months, they go through that second and final fear impact phase. So if you're dealing with a puppy and the puppy is afraid, don't keep doing what's making the puppy afraid, but also don't tell the puppy that it's okay because it's not okay to be nipping or biting or, or barking or growling or whatever it is. So that's where our last part of what we're going to be talking about today with Dana is what do you do and, and what kind of training do you recommend when somebody gets a puppy or an older dog and a little bit about the difference between, you know, your local box store pet to pet smart kind of training, uh, maybe your local, you know, obedience trainer, um, and then maybe somebody who's a behaviorist like I am. Um, what, what need, when do you send dogs out? Because I know you only call me when you have a dog that nobody else can fix and that you're in trouble with. <laughs> um, so that's pretty much what I get the call, calls on. But can you explain a little, like, when somebody gets a puppy um, or a dog, like, how do you determine what kind of training you think that the dog needs? Yeah, so there's a lot of factors that go into that. Um, and actually, part of our adoption contract is that you're supposed to do a training class with the dog, especially the puppies. Um, you know, you really enforce into the family is that having a strong foundation with the dog will avoid a lot of problems later on when the dog gets older. Uh, so, you know, if it's a puppy and it just needs to do the basics, you know, sit, stay, and lay down, uh, loose leash walking, um, kind of the fundamentals. Um, you know, there's good box store trainers out there for that. A thing that we always say with the puppies is that the group classes, are good because you get the socialization factors in there. So if the dog is already friendly with other animals, you want to keep them that way. So get them around other dogs that you know are healthy and vaccinated. Um, you know, being in those controlled environments are typically safe for the little ones to be in because um, they do check vaccine records and make sure that they're healthy uh, prior to um, letting them in the class. So doing something like that is good for the little ones that just need basics and, you know, to help you build a bond uh, with, with your new dog. Um, you know, more structured and, like, uh, advanced training would be, um, you know, if there's, like, an aggression issue or severe anxiety or if you're seeing any reactivity, you know, whether it be this reactivity or, you know, activities with another dog, which you see a lot with our dogs, um, or the older ones anyway. Um, that would be more of like the event training more one-on-one with maybe a trainer that specializes in those issues. But we never really recommend that families do boarding trains just because there's so many issues that can happen. When that, and at least I say 90%, of the training is actually for the people and not necessarily the dog. So if you're born in training, the dog is there and you're not. So you're not learning what needs to be done in an effective way. Um, and you're not building that foundation between you and the dog. That foundation is being built between the dog and the people uh, that are doing the training. 
so there's a lot of missed opportunities with the boarding trains, but there are certain scenarios where that's appropriate. Um, and then when you're looking at behavioral issues, that's when you reach out to people like you, right? So the more severe cases that typical cleaners aren't able to handle, uh, maybe there's some sort of, you know, chemical issue or health issue, that's a part of it. And I know you have the background for that piece of it and to be able to link it all together and come up with solutions uh, for these dogs that otherwise, you know, trainers might say to euthanize uh, just because they're not skilled enough to be able to handle it. Um, so there's a lot of different levels out there, and we know our dogs in our group. So even when we're doing interviews with the families, we'll disclose any issues that we see we offer ongoing support to our dogs. So if a family does adopt a dog that has a known issue, whether it's dog reactivity, um, anxiety, whatever, uh, we're not just saying, here you go, you know, good luck, have fun. Uh, we're here. So we help them navigate what they need to do, find the appropriate help, uh, connect them to you, uh, or, you know, whatever they need. Um, we don't just hand out our dogs and just say good luck with them. You know, they're, they're part of our group for a lifetime. So well, you know, Dana, it's it's interesting because I wanted to talk about that, and I also want to get your information out there. It's incrediblepupspetrescue at gmail dot com. Yep, that's our email. Uh, incrediblepupspetrescue, all spelled out, at gmail dot com. Um, Dana Jones, um, and they really are one of our favorites um, to work with. It's important when you are looking for a pet that you. Pick the rescue. Uh, it's the same thing I tell to people when they're looking for a little Ridgeback puppy and they, they're, oh, I've checked with all these different breeders and these people all have dogs. But I like yours. Well, right, because I put a lot of time into mine. And that's why I have waiting lists when everybody else has extra puppies that they can't unload. Um, and it's really the same thing with rescues. You have to not shop around for dogs, but I think it's better to shop around for the rescue that you're going to deal with. Because, listen, as a behaviorist, and I deal with over 500 rescues, there are some that I would never in a million years, I won't say who they are, but I would never in a million years ever adopt a dog from or allow to take a dog because they don't follow up. You don't get a phone call back. And just assume, it's like what I tell people when they want a little Ridgeback puppy. I have my, my puppies right now that are adorable, everybody wants. And I say to them, if you try to reach out to somebody at a rescue or, you know, to purchase a puppy from a good breeder, a show breeder, um, if you are trying to do that and that person doesn't get back to you right away, just imagine once they've got your money or once you've, you know, gotten the dog, how available is she going to be then? I'm available all times, day and night, and people always say that. They're like, wow, it's amazing, you know. When I, you know, I, I call you or I text you, you answer right away. And that's important, not just with purchasing, you know, grand champion, like my, my boy just won best in show. Um, and, you know, it's, it's exciting for all those things. But what happens when you have a problem and you can't get in touch with your breeder or your rescue? I've found incredible pups and, and not just with, with you guys, Dana, but, with other people who I've referred to you guys, 
where people are just raving about how your your basically call it customer service pup pup customer <laughs> pupstomer service Pupster, that didn't yeah. come out the Pupster, right way, yeah. Uh, but you know it's so important. So it, you don't abandon the people after they rescue a dog and after they adopt from you. And people around the country, wherever you are, wherever you're listening, even in other countries, because I know we've got a pretty broad reach here on, with the show, please do a little checking. Don't worry about the puppy. Anybody, all these puppies come from pretty much the same place. They're all coming from, from more or less, they're coming from the same location. It's just more important to find the rescue that you want to work with. Incredible Pups Pet Rescue, they're on Facebook too. Absolutely incredible group, one of our favorites, um, and they just, they know their stuff, and they really do care. They follow, and, and trust me on this because I've helped them on some, they don't abandon the dogs. They're going to help you, and it's, they're going to help you through those tough times. And I can't believe, Dana, we already went through an hour show, so we're going to have I to let everybody go. But I definitely want to have you on again um, very, very soon. I thank everybody. Um, remember, check out Incredible Pups Pet Rescue um, at gmail.com. If you want to make donations, reach out to them on that email, and they will let you know how to donate. They are a small rescue. Every penny goes directly to the dogs. They're really amazing. Have a great night, everybody. Great day, great weekend, whenever you're listening, wherever you are. 